After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. We live in a society that requires a certain kind of self-alienation, a competition, and sort of a shutting off of the part of us that knows we're one among many and we're not a separate self. Hey folks, welcome to the Meta Hour podcast with Sharon Salzberg, where Buddhist wisdom meets everyday life. My name is Lily Cushman, and I am the longtime producer of this podcast. And today we have the third episode of the Real Life series, which is all centered around Sharon's new book by the same name, Real Life, that's coming out just in a few weeks time on April 11th. And the episode today features a wonderful conversation with actor, director, writer, the incredible Sarah Jones. And this interview is actually drawing from the Living an Authentic Life Summit. This is a portion of that interview. While this is available as part of that free summit, we just wanted to also share them here on the podcast. So the summit itself is still happening. Final day is tomorrow, but you can still join and have access to everything for a few days for free. If you would like to sign up, you can do so at SharonSalzberg.com. And each day of that summit is visiting a different theme from Sharon's book. And this particular interview is from day three, which is all around the theme of expansion and these states of expansion that can really widen our view of the world, of ourselves. With Sarah's interview, because she's a creative, it's a lot of looking at expansion through the lens of creativity and the creative process. So it's really just a delightful conversation. And if you want to hear the whole thing, you can, of course, head over to the summit and check it out there. I will also say <laughs> one thing about this interview that feels like important context for everybody is that one of Sarah's many talents as an actor is her ability to do these different characters. And in fact, it's probably what she's most famous for these one-woman shows where she does this whole array of different characters. 
And I tell you that because a lot of her characters come up in this interview and she does the characters, but if you didn't know that, you would probably just assume that Sharon's actually interviewing like five different people, but it's actually all Sarah. And <laughs> it's a little hard to tell without video, so I just wanted to tell you that. And if you hear someone else, it's Sarah, <laughs> the very talented Sarah. So before we get into the episode, a couple of other quick announcements. Like I mentioned before, Sharon's new book is coming out on April 11th, and we're having a really fun book launch party online on that evening of the 11th. I hope that you'll join us. It's a free offering hosted by the Insight Meditation Society, their book club, and the evening is going to be Sharon in conversation with the lovely Joanna Hardy, moderated by Dan Harris, who, if you don't know Dan, he's the force behind the 10% Happier app, book, podcast, all of the 10% things. And it's just going to be a great evening to celebrate the book, talk about the book, be together. And especially these days with how complicated life is, it's a wonderful thing to come together and celebrate in these moments. So please join us. You can register for that for free at SharonSalzberg.com. And the other thing I want to mention is that anyone who has pre-ordered your copy of Real Life, first of all, thank you so much. Pre-orders have a tricky little way of really impacting the life of a book, how many copies are printed, how many bookstores even carry it, that kind of stuff. So it really does make a difference. And we have some goodies for you. A couple of guided meditations from the book itself that are read by Sharon. If you go to SharonSalzberg.com, you'll see there a place that you can upload your receipt and receive your free guided meditations. So that's all the info I have for you today. And without further ado, here is today's episode. Welcome back to The Summit. I'm Sharon Salzberg, and I'm here with my friend, Sarah Jones. I'm so delighted to be with again. Let's start with a little background on who Sarah is. She's called a master of the genre by the New York Times. Sarah Jones is a Tony Award-winning solo performer, writer, comedian, and activist. She's mainly known for her multi-character one-person shows, including Broadway hit Bridge and Tunnel, and a critically acclaimed play, Sell by Date which inspired the film. She's also appeared in various film and TV projects, including the Netflix series On the Verge. Renowned as a one-woman global village, Jones has given multiple main stage TED Talks, performed for President and First Lady Obama at the White House. So Sarah and I were just talking, and is it called Sell by Date that's available right now? Yeah, the okay. film, it's called Sell by Date. And uh, I was saying, you know, how a thing takes on its own life and then suddenly is sitting on Amazon or Apple or wherever people want to watch it. It's quite something. It's very exciting. Having seen it, I think, several times, really, when it was uh, showing in New York. And it's so great. 
And there's something in the teachings of the Buddha about finding ourselves in one another that I think you bring to life so powerfully because each character that you portray doesn't feel like a kind of exotic or alien being. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize some of that. I can find some of that in me as well. So it's very powerful work. Thank you, Sharon. I mean, I've said to you every time, being able to share my work with you, it just sort of feels like I get to, it's re-gifting in the best possible sense. You gave me so many gifts as a student along my path and to get to share my people, in quotes, my many selves with you, it just feels like such a gift of reciprocity. I don't know. I, I feel very privileged is what I'm trying to say. Well, thank you. So we're talking today about expansion, where we feel most expansive and open and connected and how to enhance it. And I would imagine the path to becoming a one-woman global village is not a straight line. So you've talked before about your multicultural family and background and how do these voices gather in you and what was the path of bringing them to the theater stage and to the world political stage as well? Yeah, I appreciate this question so much because I'm in that inquiry now and again now and again now. You know, it's a just to answer the question, I get to kind of feel how embodied I've always been in the sense of being many parts or having many parts. As a small child, I come from a multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic family, but the most important piece I think now is seeing how much I'm also none of those things. I am a one woman global village in some ways because my mother had white skinned privilege, even though she's from a mixed race family. And so in some ways I developed an identity that was reactive to the idea that I don't belong here or I don't belong there or I'm different. But I think my path definitely not a straight line, much more of a spiral and kind of a wobbly one at that. I, I wish I were a physicist and could tell you what a wobbly <laughs> spiral kind of cylindrical. It, it does feel like expansion. It feels less like going up and more like spiraling out. I think of my hair <laughs> as kind of, a, you know, the physical manifestation of how I keep getting to spiral out more and more around our identities, who we are, and then in, that's the new thing for me is kind of, oh, but if you take away notions of race, not that I don't want all of my identities and cultures and religions, everything that's influenced me, I want those. And I also see how much our sameness comes from something else, mm -hmm. something more interior. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Well, when I was working on my last book, Real Change Before Real Life, I was talking to Bell Hooks and she was telling me she didn't like the term social action yeah. as words because she said it might imply for some people only protesting or only picketing or something like that. And she looked at me and she said, what about art? So there's some way in which in your work, theater and progressive activism feel like natural collaborators. And I wonder if you could say something about that. Oh, thank you. I, you know, my hope is that art is a catalyst for change. And 
we get to decide which way we want to aim that change, right? All art is political. I know I'm not the first person to say this, but I'll just choose my words carefully here. All art is political in the sense that if it is apolitical or seemingly devoid of a political viewpoint, that too is a political choice. It means the creator has the, in my mind, luxury of not saying anything. Maybe is perfectly happy with the way things are going, but that too is a politics. So for me, there is no apolitical art and it's just a matter of how I choose, what lens I choose, where I, you know, sort of focus my camera to think like a director, which I was for the first time recently. And I think we're all artists. So I love that Bell lifted that out. I really, I deeply know every person I've ever met, gotten to interview, put on stage. In fact, Sharon, you knew this was coming. I hope you knew. Hi, Sharon. It's me, Lorraine. I can't resist. I know we want to talk about expansion, but Sarah, you know, she has, she's talking and talking, but she's not talking about how the art and the activism, it's all one thing that we all have. Everybody who knows remembers the play of being a child and having that sense of what's fairness and justice that all little children have. You can't just give one a sandwich and the other not a sandwich. They'll give half their sandwich. We're all creative, connected, communicating beings. And now I'm hungry for a sandwich. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing that. You also That was like the sound of my childhood, you know, in New York. It was like, yeah. Yes, me too. Me too. One of the sounds, right? That was one of the many sounds. Yeah. yeah. So great. <laughs> so one of the things in my conversation with Belle was clear is that we count on artists for courage, mm-hmm. you know, for going a little further, maybe than we would be prepared to go when we woke up that morning, you know, and, but you see someone's doing that or expressing that and not keeping it inside them or it's an amazing activity and it serves, I think, a tremendous political role. Thank you for saying that too. I need it because there are times when my courage falters and I look to other artists. I think of you as an artist. Your art form is teaching us all to be embodied in our practice of daily living. What an art form, right? And what, uh, like music, like visual art, it stirs something that if we're really fortunate, we get to spend at least a little time every day remembering that's who we are, not the person who's pulled in thousands of directions. And even the person who's pulled in thousands of directions, you know, the sun is always there, right? It's always there. It may get lots of cloud cover or too many texts and phone calls and social media and whatever gets in the way. But that idea that we get courage from seeing one another is 100% true for me. And I have to say the film Sell by Date, this film that's inspired by the play that you've supported so lovingly, I went through a battle of almost being canceled as the unfortunate language goes, because really, and I'll be talking about this another time, but a lot of us are pre-canceled, right? Women and people of color and people of various religions, including Jewish people. I'm part Jewish as well. We know what it is to be canceled. You know, cancellation is sort of a new thing if you have a lot of privilege. If you come into this world needing to protest, you're already dealing with cancellation. But anyway, so I sort of got doubly canceled, you might say. And 
boy, did I need a lot of courage. It was so hard to get out of bed. It was so hard to trust my path. And I looked to other people. I got a lot of help maintaining my courage to show up as an artist and to keep breathing. It was, it was hard to meditate. I didn't want to sit still with myself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there are many times it's hard to sit still with ourselves. And, but I think it's okay, you know, because some of those skills, they follow us around, you know, and, and you're suddenly reminding yourself to take a breath in the middle of a meeting or, you know, somebody is claiming that they see you and you know, really, they don't see you at all. Yeah. And to be able to like take a breath and just say, this is who I am. That's it, Sharon. Yeah. That, you just described a good chunk of my, you know, the beginnings of unique creative journey for me. So yes, artists and courage. I think we encourage one another. And I do believe we all need reminders that that artist is inside us. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm so curious about that process of letting those, those voices, really those characters flow through you. And when I was writing faith, which came out quite a number of years ago, um, it was a very difficult thing for me to write. And at one point I was talking to Susan Griffin, who was kind of coaching me. And she said, you have to stop thinking of yourself as the person writing this book and think of yourself as the first person who gets to read this book. Mm -hmm. Like I really had to step out of the way. And I'm so curious about entire beings, you know, who, who kind of come through you. And it's almost like, do you know what they ate for breakfast and like what they wear and do they sleep in a nighty or what is it? And so, <laughs> Yes. The answer is yes. I have all this information. My joke is that I'm, you know, I'm like a one person Airbnb, like the original Airbnb. They all just come in and they just come and go. But I think letting that is such a beautiful and courageous, the courageous work on your part to trust that getting out of the way is the way, right? Yeah, I don't have a choice. These folks bubble up and they are coming out. And my job is to not only do I have to get out of the way, but I don't get to look good, Sharon. I get to look like whatever they look like. But how do I? I'm going to let somebody actually answer this because she's coming up. Okay. So hi, Sharon. It's me. It's Nereda. I've met you before at the theater because, you know, I'm in the show. I'm in the sell by date show. But more importantly than that, as a teacher, I mean, I, you have a challenge on insight meditation. You know, like I, I follow you. Sarah Jones follows you, but I follow you differently. I am, first of all, you know, as a woman of color, but dealing also with the issues of uh, some of the anti-immigrant and the sentiment that like part of my family was not born here and what it means to be sort of otherized in a way that's also connected to the land. Like there's so much that I'm dealing with on a daily basis. And Sarah Jones has to talk about that if she's going to bring me out. And there are places where that conversation is not as welcome as others. And so I have noticed that she feels unpopular, but that's not, that's not my business. And I really like the idea that she is forced to stretch. If she wants to make space for us, she has to stretch. She has to grow. And maybe she's not gonna, you know, be able to like do the most mainstream, the most popular this or the easiest that that's not what she signed up for. And so I remind her of that whenever she's like, come on guys, can we just do like an easy sitcom? No, no, we can't. I'm sorry. It's not possible. <sighs> They, they take up a lot of space, but I'm privileged to step out of the way. I would rather let them guide me and keep me teachable than have an easier time. Yeah. 
And when did you first have a sense of like belonging to the human family? This is a really poignant question for me at the moment. I, I have a deep knowing always, because I think, like I said, right. I mean, it was probably Sesame street. I remember seeing, you know, all these diverse faces that looked more like mine than most of the other stuff I might see on TV. And everybody was, everybody mattered. And there were, you know, different people with different experiences, people with in the disability community or, you know, who spoke different languages. Different. I just remember thinking, Oh, like this looks like my family. And we, you know, we make sense. And then I think I went to the UN school and then it just sort of exploded. You know, it's like 130 languages being spoken and so many perspectives and lots of people saying, hey, you being from the United States, you think you're the center of the world, but really there's a whole set of experiences that you get to learn about from us. And so I remember thinking, oh, there's no hierarchy in the human family not in any real sense. And I want to be part of that. I want to be part of a circle of humanity. So I felt very plugged into that. And at the same time, I, as I mentioned, you know, the different races and all of that, I sometimes felt not a part of any family. I was holding a lot of contradictions at the same time, which you teach us to do so beautifully. I can hold multiple experiences at the same time. I know I'm part of the human family. And there are times when I feel, you know, sort of isolated, even in my own family unit or immediate family experience and I can hold both. Yeah. 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 I think we kind of have to hold both because uh, it's like the quotation from the Buddha when he said in this fathom long body, you find the universe because that is true. And at the same time, we have a particular history and how people treat us when we go to school and what it's like in that neighborhood and all of that. Mm. Yes. yes, so both are true. Both are true. Uh, and listening to you, you know, I just got this hit of like being an artist in this time, in this culture, in the United States. It would not be easy, you know, that I've often reflected that we live in a culture that prizes demeaning others. And I remember once uh, Sylvia Borstein, one of my colleagues, was staying here with me and Barry, and we were watching the Winter Olympics on TV. And pair of people, a couple got up and danced on ice. And when they were done, the announcer said, without even like pausing to breathe, he barks at lacks artistry. And I thought, give me a break. You know, these people just danced on ice. That's not easy to do, I bet. Or we watch some of the reality TV shows where people are in competition with one another. And is not an encouraging word usually, you know, at least what I've seen, which is very little. And uh, I'll never forget this one cooking show where instead of saying to the person being dismissed, like, you know, it was an interesting omelet, but it could have been more interesting if you'd been a little bolder with your use of spices. I think that's something you should consider. It was like, take your knives and go. And I thought, oh my God, it's like, you don't deserve to be alive. You're like worthless. And, And we think we'll feel better about ourselves by putting others down. And so there's that whole climate as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. First of all, I want to watch the show where you are the judge on the cooking show. Thank you. <laughs> that's that's first. Maybe that's the book number 13. I don't know. But I have 13 already done. 14. Oh, of course, 13 done. Sorry. 14. Wait, let me get ahead of book 20. <laughs> book 20 in which Sharon Salzberg shows us her compassionate judging skills on reality TV. But as you're talking, you know, softness, like softening into a space of vulnerability, tenderness, gentleness. You know, we live in a society that requires a certain kind of self-alienation, a competition, and sort of a shutting off of the part of us that knows we're one among many and we're not a separate self, right? And what I've started to believe is that is lucrative. You need people to feel isolated, separate, and not good enough in order to make sure they buy all the stuff that you're telling them they need to be okay. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the kind of conditions in which many people live and the ways we kind of engender in children so early, this idea of competition and that you're not safe, right? It really feels like I'm not safe in this body. I'm not safe in my community unless, unless I strive, unless I achieve, unless I one up and top everyone else. And I think there's something to that double-sided, you know, fear of being myself because I might not be good enough. And then kind of the fear that helps drive me to also feel alienated from other people. It's a very, I think, precise way to engineer consumers, like people who can't stand to be here. And so they need to escape into whatever you're selling. And I count myself among those people, whether it's food, you name a thing, I have used it to take flight from myself without question. And, um, you know, I don't know how to hold that except to say what a miracle that there are people like you and artists, all the artists who it is uncomfortable. I live in, you know, awkwardness, the notion of like suffering slash awkwardness, whatever the term is that um, we want to use. I live there a lot because I'm looking around going, boy, I don't want to compete. I guess that means I, I want the nice vacation, but I don't want to have to hurt people to get there. It's a fascinating dance that yeah, we are yeah. dancing on ice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. And somebody quoted Auden to me once, and I could never source it, so I could never use it in a book or anything, but it was great. When he was doing theater criticism, he apparently would never write a negative review. If he didn't like something, he just wouldn't review it. And the way he put it was, art has enough enemies. I, I would love to. Anybody listening, if you're a researcher, help me. Help us. Help us. Art I has tried and tried, but it was it was so beautiful. I guess I, I actually do know who first quoted it to me, so I'll go back to her. So, where did you hear that? Wow. That's just magic. What a helpful... Yeah. And, you know, I've thought about... Crit I've been very fortunate with critics. Yes, and... There have been moments, especially this recent making this film, it's a it's new territory for me, first time director, but also I chose a topic about women and social justice and power and sex. And you know what it is. Sell by date is looking at, you know, the joke is that 
people who are in the world that sell by date deals with. Some people call it the oldest profession or we have, you know, and I think it's really the oldest conversation we're not having in an honest way about the need for connection and love and care in a society where economics, commerce, all of that are mixed in. And, you know, how are women treated? How are non-binary folks treated? And who's an object? Who has worth? Who has value? All of those questions are so kind of relevant and ringing in the air right now. And yet some people don't want to look at that. And I don't blame them. I understand. They'd much rather watch a reality show where you get told, take your knives home. But what it brought up for me was, oh, I get to consider the source. I really looked at critics who said, I can't watch this, or, you know, this subject matter is too difficult for me. And then I went back and looked at their lives and I thought, oh, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. People make sense, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great line. I'm going to have to use that. People make sense. Actually, we do, actually. If we only knew, you know. We only knew. Right. Right. And that's why what you help us do, the inquiry into ourselves. If I don't start there, I have no idea what, you know, I'm just sort of, I feel like I'm, you know, spores. I have no idea how I'm seeding the world with what I don't even know I'm carrying, you know. There's something too about, just being wholehearted and following that inner knowing, uh, which is the deepest voice that says, this is where integrity lies, you know, come what may. At the same time, where we live in the world and we try to do what needs to be done. And I can remember, I also have this in, um, in real life and some other places too, I think, when I was working on uh, two books ago, <laughs> Real Love, <laughs> And I was really late with the book and I was kind of discouraged and it was my 10th book. And I thought, to be totally honest, I thought, just phone it in. Just like, just send something in. You've got to get it done. And it's your 10th book. Nobody cares what you have to say anymore. And then this friend came through New York, took me to see Hamilton, which was in its first iteration with Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote it, still playing Alexander Hamilton. And I was sitting there just like mesmerized. And I couldn't take my eyes off of him. And I thought, you wrote this. Mm-hmm. Like every word of this came out of your brain. And and I thought, wow, you can never compromise the way I had just been thinking of. Oh, and just phoning it in. It's like everything you do, you have to do completely with everything you've gotten. My friend still teases me. And he said, then I said, do you want to go to dinner? And you said, I have to go home and write. <laughs> you know? I love it. And it's been like that ever since because it's so tempting to say, did this already or some form of this, not the same book, of course. And what was really lovely for me in in writing this book was that I wasn't traveling at all. I was here Mm -hmm. and only teaching online. And I kept finding new things to say and new ways of saying it and new experiences I was having because we're all having kind of a very strange experience of one kind or another, Mm -hmm. either being home or not being home, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there it was, you know, it's like ever renewing. Ah. Mm, that felt so, I just, everything you said, starting with the fact that you letting us into your, that space that every artist knows, every writer knows, every human being knows of, I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I've made a mistake. I just, you know, the phone it in, that phone it in moment. 
the fact that you have those, right, and that you share them with us, that's part of this kind of courage loop that I think Bell Hooks is talking about. And Lin-Manuel kind of pouring his entire self, talk about wholehearted and into that piece, and then it transferring into you in this way that really just reconnected you to your own availability. Mm -hmm. And what you're describing, I think, with the books you've gotten to write since, we have a new availability. I am newly available to myself in ways that I've never been before because this moment we've lived through, I think, has revealed so much to so many of us. Some of us have not had the time or the luxury or the bandwidth or whatever you want to call it to sink into those places. Maybe we're essential workers or we have, you know what I mean? So I want to be really careful about this. But for those of us who are fortunate enough to have had this new experience of not traveling, of really just having more expansive space within. I never spent so much. I've had a career that has, you know, since I was a young person, really young person, never gave me the space to just be with myself and my characters. Boy, let me tell you. Yeah. Hi. I know this is super weird. Hi, Sharon. Super fan. Um, Bella, me, Bella. Um, yeah, Sarah Jones learned how to like be with herself. And I think that so much art is like stored there inside of people. But we are usually like, we like send it to voicemail, if you know what I mean, to use like an old fashioned phone term. And when we're not busy with all the other things, we can like hear these other kind of voices, if you will. And I think she like doesn't like to admit it. She didn't like the like the loss of life and all the other terrible things about the pandemic. But I think Sarah Jones like accessed parts of herself in the pandemic that would have been impossible under any other circumstance. Yeah, Belle is right. I mean, and when I hear you about, again, that I would go so far as to say everything about that process you described is perfect. You mm -hmm. needed to have the kind of dip. You needed to have the lift of Lin-Manuel's transfusion into your consciousness. And then to kind of, I know you'll never, we, we were talking about book 20, but I know that you also, Sharon, you wouldn't write a book unless it needs writing. And I think mm -hmm. that's the other piece is that we're trustworthy. We are trustworthy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is going to be a funny question, maybe. Do you love those characters? Because you do it so well, I mean, really brilliantly. And it's not like caricature, which it could so easily be. And in a way, a little making fun of or dismissive of. But I don't feel that at all. And, and I think it's not the common feeling at all, you know, watching you. And so do you actually love them? I do. I love them. I love them. It's, I'm going to get uh, let myself have that full experience of that emotion that just came up because they're so real to me. I know all the people on whom they are loosely based. Some of them are composites, but I know how much life is beating underneath the, I can't change my physical form the way I, in the movie, I, we do a little bit, which I don't get to do on stage. So that's kind of fun. But besides a hat or some glasses, I can feel all of the personhood is right there for me. And, you know, they've saved me. They are 
they are of course parts of me, but they allow me to get outside myself and be someone else. And I've portrayed characters who are very different than I am. Characters who are racist or sexist or otherwise see the world in ways that I don't. And plugging into their humanity has has helped form the best parts of, of myself. So I love them. I love them even when I don't like them. Mm-hmm. Which is maybe the most powerful force for expansiveness and breaking free of that sense of being trapped. And I guess it's also breaking free of being defined by others instead of just our circumstance and actually finding that kind of agency within. It's like, I can be really different even in this situation. Yes. And I get to be on my best days, definitely not all the days, teachable. I want to have a you know, beginner's mind wherever I can, because the kind of every book you've written speaks to this. We, we have an opportunity with every time we sit, we can have a new experience. We really can. And I don't know, there's something really hopeful about that. And I'm not being, that's the other thing is I love the way you literally write. It's real life. It's real change. It's real love. It's not this mountaintop uh, version of some evolution that none of us will ever actually be able to touch or enlightenment. You're the real deal, Sharon. And Thank you help you. us all. Yes, you are. And you help us all remember that so are we, you know, so are we. Well, I have a friend who keeps quoting me to me. And it is one of those situations where I don't remember ever saying it, but apparently I did. And it meant a lot to him where somebody, he was recording this podcast and somebody asked me why I meditated, what my experience was meditating. And I apparently said, I sit down and get real. And he's, he's quoting it to this day. And I thought, I said that? Wow, that's great. You know, like, I'm, I didn't know I said that. I'm writing that down. <laughs> I sit down and get real. I mean... I love it. And now, of course, I'm hearing Rashid. He wants to be like, yeah, we could do the music. What's good, um, Sharon? It's good to be here. You know what I mean? You know, I'm your brother from another mother. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to put all that on you. But um, yeah, I just want to say I sit down and get real. I mean, now I'm like, I get down and sit real. Ah, I'm going to take it in remixes, Sharon. I couldn't help it. But what I mean is that Yo, I, for real, I don't want to, um, I don't want to, you know, get off the, cause I get emotional listening to y'all. Cause, um, I'm saying just like the way I had, you know, when I grew up, I was dealing with a lot. I didn't want to, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you say, sometimes it's real hard to sit there, but, um, it's a lot of peace. It's a lot of peace that I've been able to experience. You know what I mean? Especially as a black man in this world right here, you got to find your peace wherever you can find it. Yeah, you know I mean, and um, so I really pre- I appreciate you. That's all. That's all I wanted to say. I'm gonna sit down and get real. I'm. I'm really. I'm gonna take that with me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they're all fans. Everybody who lives in here, that's <laughs> one thing they have in common. They they were very excited to get to sit down and talk with you. Thank you. That's so great. <sighs> Listening to him, I was thinking of you know the Tony Awards this year are going to be in uh, Washington Heights, which is where I grew up. And the theater was my childhood theater. Mm-hmm. And I went, one of the only events I've ever been to in the last three years, to something there, uh, which was held in the lobby and everyone was wearing masks and we we're, you know, quite separate. And 
all of that. But I looked up on the wall and there were all these like golden Buddhas and Bodhisattvas. And I was talking to somebody from the theater and I said, is that the Buddha? And he didn't know. But later I had a connection, actually brought this event to the theater in a way. So when I was talking to my connection the next day, I said, is that the Buddha up there? And she said, yeah. So it was like, oh, when I was a child, I was just sitting there. I'd walk through the lobby and who knows what was influencing me. Or, yeah. Wait, Sharon, this is incredible. What's the, I have to know. Did you, did you get? More? No, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, it was the style, I guess. It was very, it's very ornate theater. Yeah. Huh. It, it was just kind of astonishing as an adult looking up. Is that the Buddha up there? <laughs> like, I was here as a kid, you know, like. Wow. Huh. That's extraordinary. And I think it, nothing explains you, but I think it. Yeah. 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 You make sense. Yeah. People make sense. Makes sense. Wow. Do you think there's something in you that always knew that there was a bigger world that um, there was a world that made sense ultimately both joyous and sorrowful yes 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 and i think in part because i experienced the art or the teachings of courageous people on my path even from the time i was little and I mentioned public television, Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers, that kindness. I found that later in teachers like you, but it started then. In fact, I think I even took a really early yoga class, or maybe there was some sense of meditation. This was, you know, a long time ago. It wasn't like the common kids all do yoga or all do meditation now. I don't think they all do. I wish they did, but I just know that these moments found me and really kind of stoked that part of me. Like there's a, I think it's from the Talmud uh, line, every blade of grass has its own angel that hovers above it and whispers, grow, grow, grow. And I might've misquoted that, but that's the idea. And I think I think we all have that in some way or another. I only speak for myself, but I remember knowing that something was saying, grow, grow, there's more, there's more, come be a part of, come join in this more expansive space than maybe you can see right now. And I think, you know, that started in childhood with the courage. I mean, it was courageous. Mr. Rogers and Sesame Street, you know, people in multiracial groups on television, that wasn't done typically back then. So it, there was that intertwined political, creative, courageous art and presence being together in community. All of that was definitely mingling together for me to know that on some level deep down. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would describe myself that way. It's like sometimes I will more commonly talk about being 17 years old in college, going to an Asian philosophy course and hearing the teachings of the Buddha and, and having this breathtaking sense of inclusivity because he was talking about suffering very openly and unabashedly, like there's pain in this world. And I thought, oh, it's not just me. But in truth, looking back and words I can't even find, I always knew, you know, that there was something and that it was bigger and that it was out there and that 
I had to find it and, you know, I had to no doubt do some work, but it was there. Mm-hmm. It would be there for me. And, and that felt very important looking back also to acknowledge that, that we have that in us, I think really all of us in some little flickering way mm-hmm. and that we're not trained, we're not brought up to listen to that and, and to honor that in so many ways, but it is actually there. Mm-hmm. And we can return to it and we can cultivate it. We can nurture it in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So I have these friends um, uh, who've been helping me a lot in, in the summit uh, from the Holistic Life Foundation in Baltimore, bringing yoga and meditation to the kids of the inner city, in Baltimore, which is where uh, they're from. At least the two brothers, it's two brothers and a friend they met in college. And they had a teacher who was actually their brothers. It was their godfather, Uncle Will. And one of his sayings was, love is the most powerful force in the universe. So talking to it also brings that up for me, that love is just the most powerful force in the universe. And we can touch it and we can harness it. We could let it fill us too and not think it's just going out in one direction. Mm, That is for so many reasons, deeply moving, uh, including that I was born in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And my father's family is from there. And I like to think, I don't know, there's some transference. There's some kind of, I mean, I've been so fortunate to find my way to, as you said, that it's there and we can touch it. And it is the most powerful force in the universe. And boy, it has to be pretty powerful to still reach us through the kind of clamor of all the other stuff we were talking about. The don't just sit here and get real. Don't sit down and get real. Whatever you do, keep going, keep out running, out shining, out, you know, the ideas that you have to not shine in a real sense, but sort of that idea of outpacing other people and competition and it'll never be enough. And what you're talking about is it's just so peaceful to stop striving and to stop the the chase and instead expand into the inquiry. What's here? Who's here? How do I touch this love thing in a real way, in a real life, real love, real change, all of those real ways? Yeah. And a shout out to essential workers for a moment. Um, I've seen, you know, in my life sometimes it's those people that so often are overlooked that are kind of shining the most, you know, and making a difference in someone's day. And it's just a conversation or it's the way they hear your complaints. And, you know, thinking about somebody working in a bureau fielding customer complaints. Well, I had a student once just in a workshop who did that job. And she was saying, I love everybody who comes my way. She said, I can't always help them, but I respect them. Mm-hmm. And I treat them that way. And I had just had this like really miserable experience <laughs> complaining about something <laughs> with, you know, I don't know who it was. And I thought, oh, you'd make me have a better day, you know, than the last person I talked to <laughs> about that problem. Mm-hmm. And it makes a difference. Everything we do really makes a difference. It really does. It really does. And I think waking up again to that all day, like really trying to remind myself that, you know, as you've, I mean, you've done, this one really sticks with me now because I drive and I didn't used to. And so you have this guided meditation 
on loving kindness in traffic. Yeah. I remember yeah. specifically bringing you with me basically to LA to have a new experience of something that seems so small, but sending loving kindness to everyone while you're sitting there or taking that breaths and that pause at the stoplight. I mean, it's life-changing. I'm not exaggerating. And so the reminder of how it can be so small, like I, someone smiled at me as I was walking here because I go for walks in the hills as part of, you know, trying to hold it all. And it almost moved me to tears. It was a small smile from one of the essential workers. He just smiled and it, it just penetrated whatever other kind of vague anxiety was there and pierced right to the the love part that you were talking about the most powerful force there is and all it takes is a smile or yeah, yeah. a small internal shift yeah so this has just been so wonderful talking to you i don't want to stop but i know we have to i'm gonna go watch your movie very soon maybe oh. tonight Yay. That's exciting. I have put my hand on my heart probably, I don't know, 15 times since we started talking because you just keep bringing me home to myself. And that is a truly expansive experience. So I just want to thank you for helping me have this present internal, but also very much um, feeling connected to you. Homecoming with my hand on my heart. And I wish we didn't have to stop either, but yeah. Book 20. It's coming. Book 20. Okay. Well, oh my God. <laughs> real, real everything. <laughs> real everything. Real everything. Lots of love to you. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing with us. It's been so great spending time with you. To learn more about Sarah, you can visit sarahjonesonline.com. It's S-A-R-A-H-J-O-N-E-S online.com. Thank you. Hey folks, thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon's work, her events, the Living an Authentic Life Summit, or to get a copy, a pre-order copy of her new book, Real Life, you can visit SharonSalzberg.com. This has been the Meta Hour podcast brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. May you be safe. May you be happy, may you be healthy, and may you live with ease.